there are probably people in your organization that have a wealth of information that's useful to you. Now, your job as a product person is to get all of that information. It's not to react or act on that information immediately, but it is to learn what that information is and then judge with all the information that you have because you went around getting it all and you could see everything. You can see the technology side, you can see the business side, you can see the customer side, you can see the market side, you can see the competitor side. You have all the information. Now, use that information to figure out which way you should go. Hello, and welcome to an episode of Dear Melissa from the Product Thinking Podcast. The lines are now open, and we're ready to answer your most pressing product questions. Which prioritization framework would you recommend and why? Hi, Melissa. Do you have any suggestions on I'm developing a product strategy? Whoa, 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 whoa. That's a lot of questions. All right, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another Dear Melissa. Today, I've got three great questions for you. One, about advocating for additional resources on your team when you're not a leader. Two, about really working with teams outside of product management and communicating to them about how you work and what deadlines mean. And three, about really looking at digital transformation from a bottoms-up versus a top-down perspective and what works well. So without further ado, we're going to the phones, and here is our first question. As a product manager that is not in a leadership role, how do you recommend advocating for additional resources on your development? I'm watching my engineers become overwhelmed, and I see that the expectations from leadership don't align with our bandwidth. Would love your insight. Thank you. All right. So the big thing when you're not in a leadership role is you want to show the leaders the potential for you to be able to do things quickly and efficiently and to reach their goals with your current team or what would happen with your expanded team. So you're gonna wanna communicate a couple things to them. One, you wanna show them that if you had additional resources on your team, you would be able to get to market faster, which does unlock you know, monetary value for the company. So can you show that by putting you know, a couple more engineers on your team, you would be able to do it X amount of times faster, that would pay off into why amount of money, which kind of justifies you bringing on the extra resources. You want to do that math for them. You want to show them that. And you want to give them options, right? You want to show like, if we had one one additional developer, you know, we could do this. If we had two, we'd be able to do this. Like show them what you would be capable of if you had more resources on your team. Additionally, you might want to talk about churn. Leaders are always worried about good people leaving their company. So if you can show them that the team is overwhelmed in danger of churning, in danger of leaving the company, they're going to get nervous. And they're going to be like, wow, we have to look at that team and try to figure out how to keep them from burning out and how to keep them employed. So you want to really advocate for those types of things. But the idea here is not just to go to your leaders and say, hey, I need more people if you want me to do that. You want to show them why. So what I would say is this is a great time for, not that everybody loves this, but the velocity talk. It is a good time for the velocity talk. Hi. We have been measuring the capabilities of our team. And based on that, we believe that we can get X, Y, and Z done within the next quarter or year or whatever time frame you want to do based on our current team. But that is also working at a breakneck speed. And we predict that we might have something like 20 to 30% churn in our engineers within a year if we do that. That's not great. Then we'll have to hire and replace them. It takes about 
three months for an engineer. I don't know how long it takes at your company, but let's say three months for an engineer to get up to speed and be super productive. That will kill our velocity, which means we will only be able to do Y next year. We won't be able to do any of these things if people leave. That's a problem. So what we're proposing is that we want to hire or bring on to our team from somewhere else in the company, maybe that's not as prioritized, and add two to three additional people to our team. That would allow us to do blah, blah, blah. And that results in this amount of money for us to make on a recurring basis once we release those features, which will help us justify the costs. Something like that. That's really the way that you present. And I believe that they listen to it. It's about optionality. We do this a lot in org design, even at the highest levels where we say, all right, what do we want to do as a strategy for our company in this year or next? Can we do that with the current team? Or does it make sense to actually expand our budget, hire more people so that we can get things done and bring it to market faster? So you want to have the same type of conversation. And you want to reset expectations, right? You need to go up and say, hey, this is what's happening right now. Here's some numbers. Here's what we're looking at. This is what we're capable of. I think too, what happens on a bandwidth conversation with leaders that I've seen in teams is that they come and they give you a lot of stuff and you're going, no, we can't do that. But you're not going back and explaining why you can't do that. It's just more like that's a lot for our team, but you're not showing them, hey, with the current team makeup, you get blah, 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 blah. With the new team makeup, you get this and this and this. Like you need to have that conversation where you show them the options and stick firm to that and explain why (laughs) things are the way that it is and why you're building that way. So that's the type of conversation that you need to have. It's really about resetting expectations, being transparent and showing them the numbers. And that typically will buy you more things. And it becomes a conversation about, we can either do this much stuff if we have the current team, or we can do all of this stuff if we have a different team. And we might be losing people if we continue to work at the pace that we're working at. Like those are the conversations and the things you want to hit on. So try that and I hope that helps. All right. Next question. We are going to the phones again. All right, here we go. Hi, this is Alex Schad, product coach from Hamburg, Germany. I usually advise my clients to always, always, always start with the company's vision and strategy before they even think about changing job descriptions and empowering teams. I've simply never seen it work the other way. Without understanding the need for an ambitious vision and insightful strategy, all efforts at the team level are wasted. Now my question. Have you ever seen a product transformation work from bottom to top? Work at the team level first and then improve at the executive level. If so, what do you think were the deciding factors? All right, so in my experience, I've never seen a great transformation that was wildly successful that was only bottoms up. You can work at the team level first and then improve the executive team, of course. And honestly, most transformations I've seen have started somewhat that way, but there needs to be a point where the leaders go, okay, this is the way we're going, and then they drive it. It can't last or linger at the bottom too long where the team level people in the organization are driving everything. That doesn't work. So it's kind of got to be a little top down, bottom up, top down, bottom up, and it's got to go back and forth. So here's what needs to happen I've worked on a lot of digital transformations. And the way that I'm usually brought into organizations or that I used to be brought into organizations because I've stopped working this way now is that they have always said, great, we're going to do a digital transformation and I want you to train all my product managers. So what did I do? Came in, trained all the product managers. And I would do this at very large companies, very big banks, very big insurance agencies, you name it, huge places. 
I know a lot of places are still stuck in this mode as well, where it's like train all the people on the team level. But the problem is once you train all those people on the team level, if the leadership team is not caught up to what those teams have just learned about, for example, how they should be getting outcomes and goals and iterating towards a solution for them, what happens is now the team knows how they should be working and they see the organization does not work that way. So what happens? Oh, a lot of them leave. A lot of them get frustrated or people go back to working the way that they used to work. So the transformation fails. Now, the ideal way to work is having a desire at the leadership level to move towards this transformation. You can start training the teams while the leaders are being trained as well and getting their things in order. That's totally fine to do at the same time, but the leaders need to know what to expect. So whenever I would go in to do transformations, what it turned into in the future, because I realized like this whole train, the people on the team level and then not the leaders doesn't work is I'll start with leadership, explain what they're going to get with a transformation. So a lot of them like, I want to be digital, but they don't know what that means. And I think that's a problem. They don't understand how it changes the entire way that the company operates and thinks. It changes the way that they do their roles. It changes the way that they interact with their peers. It changes everything in a company. When you do a digital transformation, it is not just about creating software. It's about creating an entirely different culture in your company. And if the leaders don't understand that, if they don't understand that that's what they're signing up for and that's what they're getting and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get there, that's when transformations fail. And I have seen many transformations fail because of that. They also have to understand that this takes a long time. There are a lot of companies still transforming. They're still at the train the product team level. And they're also at train the leader level. And they're going to be there for a while because it takes a lot to move these really large companies in this direction. So expectation setting at the beginning of a digital transformation is so important. It's so important to understand as a leader, like, how does all of this work? What do I need to be doing? How do I need to change the way that I work so that I can enable my teams to be more effective? And if your leaders are not bought into that, once they understand you know, what it takes to actually do this digital transformation, that's where it fails. That's where I always see it fails. So let's say we're getting the buy-in there. We're setting those expectations. Now you can do a little bit bottoms up, a little bit top down. You can train the teams. You can get them going on what is already there while you train the leaders in the new ways of working and how they have to communicate. Typically, you want to make sure that they are communicating down strategy really well. As a leader, you want to make sure that the direction is good, that you're worried about OKRs, that you're bubbling up what everybody's working on and you're ruthlessly prioritizing. You don't have to get it all right at the leadership level to be able to enable a digital transformation. You can work your way through that. But I think the biggest thing is the buy-in. You want to make sure that they're working at the same speed that the teams are learning so that they can enable the teams to be effective and those teams can do their job in a good way. So you want to make sure that it's staggered correctly. And it does take a while to get teams up to speed on these new ways of working. So you do have some time as a leader to get your stuff in order. That's all right. But it should be happening together. Now, I have seen it where the teams start the digital transformation. But again, like I said at the beginning, the leaders have to buy into it eventually and quickly before those team members leave. If there is no buy-in at all ever, this will never work. This will never, never work. But the leaders, I think, can catch up. And if they're smart, they will catch up. So I have seen many successful teams start with we're going to start doing some research practices. We're going to surface these things up. The key here, I think, that wins the leaders over is talking to them in ways that they understand. So 
instead of being like, hey, we're doing a digital transformation, which means we're using agile processes down here and scrum cadences, and this is velocity and story points, that's going to tune the leaders out. Instead, you want to say, hey, by enabling really good discovery practices, we learned X, Y, and Z about the company and uncovered these opportunities that are going to make us money. Then the leader's ears are going to perk up and say, wow, how'd you do that? Like, why isn't everybody doing that? That's amazing. So you want to really strip down the jargon when you're doing a digital transformation and focus on what the outcomes are that people care about, which is making money and furthering the business. And I think if the teams are starting the digital transformation and you don't find that there's a ton of buy-in or there's maybe like half buy-in from the leadership team, changing your communication is really important there because they're going to want to see the outcomes of what the digital transformation is doing. And then they're going to be more bought in because they understand what they're getting for it. So I think that's totally fine. The thing is, it's going to have to tip with the leaders like being extremely bought in and willing to change the way that they work for anything to be successful when it comes to a transformation. Did you know I have a course for product managers that you could take? It's called Product Institute. Over the past seven years, I've been working with individuals, teams, and companies to upskill their product chops through my fully online school. We have an ever-growing list of courses to help you work through your current product dilemma. Visit productinstitute.com and learn to think like a great product manager. Use code THINKING to save $200 at checkout on our premier course, Product Management Foundations. All right, next question and last question. Dear Melissa, I currently work on a small company with a lot of transparency across teams. My product team uses Scrum and releases every two weeks, but the non-technical teams are constantly complaining about our team's lack of urgency and have no regard for prioritization. The rest of the company operates on deadlines that are dependent on developers' time, but they plan their monthly deadlines at the top of each month. They even send us cards with requirements already written out and expect them to get scheduled right away, dictating to us what is needed and when. We've told them repeatedly that we don't work on deadlines, but in two-week sprints and that they should plan six weeks in advance to account for specking, engineering, and QA, but they're not hearing it. I feel like the entire team has no respect for the actual product team's process. What do I do? Sincerely, feeling micromanaged. Oh man, I would feel micromanaged too, but here's where your situation's at. You need to completely reset expectations with the rest of the company about how you work and why you work and why it's beneficial for them. So I've seen this happen a lot where people just come and yell and say, we need you to do this and you can't do this on our timelines, but we need it to be sold and you got to do this, blah, 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 blah. You need to get ahead of everything. So as I can see that you're the head of product, as the head of product, the biggest thing for you to do is go work with the leaders across the company and explain to them how a product works and hear their side of it. You need to empathize with the rest of the organization and learn how they work and why they're asking for these things. So if somebody's coming over and giving you cards of requirements, what is that requirement? What, where did it come from? Why do they have cards? So I would go meet with the leaders of the rest of the organizations and talk to them about how they work, empathize with them, say, I really want to learn more about your team. I want to learn about what you're doing over here, what's riding on it, what's your goals, all of that stuff. You need to get in sync with the rest of the leaders. So do that first. Then reset expectation with those leaders and then their teams. Now come back and start to tell them, where do you go to submit ideas? Paint a product vision for them as well. So you're talking about how your product team uses Scrum and releases every two weeks. They don't care about that. What they care about is understanding more about the roadmaps and what they're going to get for different things. So you need to get ahead of that. You need to be presenting to them and saying, here's the vision for what our team is doing. 
Here's the roadmaps that are aligned for it. This is how it's going to release value. This is what everybody needs. So get ahead of that and paint them a picture of how product works. Then you start to design the way that you work together. And this is a big thing that we talk about in product operations because we see this all the time. If you've got a sales team, for instance, where they're just giving you requirements of what to build and they're not listening to you, you need to go back to that sales team and say, hey, this is how you can advocate for things to get onto our backlog. We're going to meet every two weeks or so, and we'll share with you what's coming up, what's on our roadmap, why we're building it, and what's going to unlock. At that time, maybe you can suggest other things that are in line with our product vision. If it's not in line with the product vision, it's going to get tabled so that we can have a bigger conversation about whether or not we want to get into that or in the future, because that affects our strategy, right? Like that's not just, can you do this? That affects the entire strategy if it's not in line with the current product vision. So that happens here on these cadences in these meetings with these people, right? Really paint them a picture of where they can go to submit these things and where you can have a conversation. Also set the expectation that if you give us a card with requirements, we're going to come back to you and just ask you a bunch of questions about that card anyway. Why do you need it? Who needs it? Where it goes? Because say that's our process. You have no bearing on what our process is. And that's another thing you got to stick to your guns with. They might be coming over here and doing all these things. The first thing is to ask why. The second thing is to have your own process that you can explain to them and say, this is not how we work. And it sounds like you've tried to explain that to them, but they're not hearing it, which tells me there is a tension of them not perceiving you delivering on things that will help them. So if that's the case, if that's the case, right, you need to figure out what they need and why. And we can't also just be up in our head as product leaders and product people saying, we know all the answers. We know all the answers to all of these things. And I'm not going to listen to anybody else in the company because we have a backlog and we're going to stick to that. That's not how we work. And that's not how we should be working because there are probably people in your organization that have a wealth of information that's useful to you. Now, your job as a product person is to get all of that information. It's not to react or act on that information immediately, but it is to learn what that information is and then judge with all the information that you have because you went around getting it all and you could see everything. You can see the technology side. You can see the business side. You can see the customer side. You can see the market side. You can see the competitor side. You have all the information. Now use that information to figure out which way you should go and then repeat back to them if you did use some of those requirements or if you did deliver on it, make sure you go back and tell them that you did. And if you don't, tell them why. Tell them what the other information is that affects it. So that's a big part of this. It's about getting in front of a lot of things and making sure that you have a solid explanation for people about why you're doing the things you do, how you work, how much you can actually take on, but also listening to them and empathizing with what they need and really figuring out, are these things that we can deliver? I'll give you a great example. I once worked with a company where they had an old head of product who was extremely, extremely process-oriented, you know, stuck to their guns about the way that Scrum was, the way that Agile was, the product team shall not be dictated to, and that was their mentality. That person was the enemy of all the other leaders. The other leaders were like, I can't work with product, they're impossible. And when you talk to the other leaders, they had very valid points. They said, I have no idea what we're building. So I said, let me go find out what we're building. And I went to that leader and I said, can you share a roadmap? Can you share these things? They did not have it. They did not have it. And they were not sharing it because it did not exist. So that's telling me that this leader is not doing what they should be doing, which is getting ahead of the stuff that they're building and building a compelling vision for the rest of the company, a compelling roadmap, 
all of those things to communicate back to the leaders. And what happened was because they were just very, I don't like anybody dictating me, blah, 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 product's going to do this. They turned everybody else in the company off and they were replaced. New head of product comes in, right? Instead, works on a collaborative way with the rest of the people. The first thing they do is they go to sales and they say, what have you been asking for forever that we haven't delivered that you know is going to get us immediate sales in this quarter? And they said, oh my God, it's this thing. I've been asking for it for two years. I know that I can close about X hundred thousand dollars of revenue just this quarter if we had this thing. It's one thing that people have been begging us for. It's the one thing that I can't compete on with the major competitor that they all leave and go to. And the product person said, okay, head of product goes, okay, let me go talk to this team about it and see if we're able to get that for you. Goes back to the team, discusses it. They look at it. They say, yeah, we've just been punting that down the road. The other head of product really didn't want to do this thing, blah, 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 blah. Product leader looks at it, says, okay, actually we can get this done and it's pretty straightforward and easy. Goes back to sales and says, we're going to do this for you and let's see how it works. They were able to deliver on that thing within just a month. Sales was able to sell hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of new revenue into the market to get into the sales numbers. And now everybody's happy and working together. Now sales doesn't come back and complain all the time about them not delivering, not prioritizing, not having a lack of urgency. It was because they made one small concession there. And what did the head of product do? They looked at it and they said, is this like the most strategic thing we could be working on? No. But is it going to get me buy-in with the rest of the company? Yes, it's going to make me, the head of sales, best friend. And it is something that's useful because it will make us money. He didn't ask for something that was unreasonable. He asked for a very reasonable thing. And he's been asking for it for so long. And it did get the company a good amount of money. And it did not like completely steer the train off the tracks by not being strategic or anything like that. Was it the most important thing they could be building? No. But was it important? Yes. And it actually had a really good reason for people asking for it. So that's what I would say is like, try to evaluate where are these people coming from? And you need to be pragmatic when you are a product leader too. I know you feel micromanaged and it sucks feeling micromanaged, but usually people are micromanaging you because they don't understand what the long-term vision is and they don't understand why you're doing the things you're doing. So get out of like everyday mode and just meet with people, have deep conversations about these things, explain to them why things are working. Don't feel like you're getting your, you know, feathers in a ruffle with all of this stuff. Make sure that you're just saying, let me put myself in their shoes and empathize like a good product person does. Let me empathize with them and try to understand this from their perspective. What are they feeling? Why are they feeling pressured? Maybe they have ridiculous expectations set on them and you could be their best friend because you go to the CEO and say, you know what? We can't all work this way. You might find that you all band together and approach all these issues in a really collaborative way. And that's what I hope for you. So really take a couple steps back and just empathize. I cannot say this enough. Empathize, empathize, empathize. Get ahead of the story, get ahead of the narrative and co-create things together. All right, that's it for Dear Melissa this week. Thank you so much for listening in. And if you have a question for me, please go to dearmelissa.com and leave me a voicemail. I want to hear all your lovely voices and I love hearing the context in which you say these things. So please go leave me a voicemail at dearmelissa.com. Tell me what you're thinking. And we will be back next week with another episode of the Product Thinking Podcast. So make sure that you hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time.